Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast, Did You Read, with me, Tim Montgomery, comment editor of the Times. And this week, I'm joined by Jenny Russell, Oliver Cam, and Roger Boys. Last night, MPs voted to ban smoking in cars when children were present. I support this attempt, but is it going to end up in practice as yet another pointless and unenforced law? Will it join the hunting ban, the law against female genital mutilation and the law supporting the minimum wage as examples of statute rather than practice? Why do our legislators spend so much time and energy recreating laws which no one can be bothered to pursue or uphold? The Swiss vote to curb EU immigration on Sunday is a depressing indication of the potency of populist politics in European debate. Freedom of movement is one of the EU's great attributes. It's of immense benefit to Switzerland, though it is outside the EU, and it's of immense benefit to the UK as well. Controls on non-EU immigration are not too loose. They are far too tight. Europe, including the UK, needs far more immigrants merely to stabilise dependency ratios. Jenny Jones has just won a bronze at the Sochi Olympics, the first British medal on snow for many, many years. Does that mean we're going to become wrapped in the sport of it all and forget about the grim politics of the Games, the overweening influence of Vladimir Putin? Let's hope not. The Kremlin leader is an authoritarian menace and his bullying tactics in Ukraine and beyond are making a nonsense out of the so-called Olympic spirit. Well, Jenny, let's start with uh, your subject. We're recording this uh, podcast on Tuesday morning, and it was last night that Parliament voted to ban smoking in cars with children. And although you're sympathetic to the issue, you feel that this is a law that Parliament won't enforce. But actually, with one of the other laws you mentioned, the ban on fox hunting, there is a lot of evidence that although the hunts continue, the fox hunting has stopped. They now chase false quarries and scents. So are, yeah, are you I, right to say these laws aren't enforced? Tim, you've been listening to the PR of people who go fox hunting. <laughs> I mean, personally, I was against the fox hunting ban because I think it's a civil liberties issue. But um, if you want to ban fox hunting, that's absolutely not what they've achieved. I live part-time in the country and I live next to the master of the hunt. And I can tell you, they go out dragging fake fox scents and 
lo and behold, they just luckily happen to come across some real foxes, and then how can the hounds tell the difference? And they all leap after them. And hunting has never been more popular. Mm. And there have been 280 successful prosecutions, which is extraordinarily few when you think this, le- this legislation went through almost two decades ago now. Four out of five prosecutions that the RSPCA have brought have been banned. Hunting is now carried out by more people in Britain than ever before. It took up 700 hours of parliamentary time. It was the major achievement of the Blair government, and it didn't achieve any of its aims. I'm not sure they would aims. regard it as the major I, achievement. It's one of its major parliamentary achievements. Okay. Uh, they, they put an awful lot of political time and capital into it, and it didn't do what they wanted, which was to stop rich people hunting. Oliver, I think you are quite sympathetic, are you not, to this ban on smoking in cars? Yes, I am. There's no um, point in identifying issues of consistency as with fox hunting i tend to agree with jenny that that was uh, that that bill the fox hunting bill was uh, a waste of the tremendous parliamentary time that was invested in it Mm. Uh, i'm not particularly troubled by people who use their spare time to go fox hunting much as i aesthetically dislike the practice but this is different this is this is (laughs) (laughs) not it does from the killing exactly not not when you get up close this is a different issue this is about a public health issue and the argument that you can't enforce it has been made again and again with every restriction on smoking it was made most particularly in the case of the ban on smoking in public places in mm-hmm. 2007 said that w- working clubs in the north and exactly. things it wouldn't be enforced it, and it has been enforced it has been enforced it yeah. has been enforced and it's something that we will not go back to because the very idea of sitting amid smoke um, damaging people's health damaging the health of restaurant workers for example who can't be compensated for this is um, it, it, it's, it's just become part of political debate. And I think that given that children are involuntary passive smokers within cars, it's important to send a signal and it's important to enforce it. And I think it can be enforced. enforced. And the argument that we are progressively encroaching on private space I don't think holds up to scrutiny in the case of public health. OK. Roger, boys, if you were a member of Parliament and um, this... Uh, uh, bill had been put before you, would you have supported it? Uh, The smoking bill? Mm. Uh, Yes, I would have done um, because I think there's um, a duty to protect children and I think that has to be there has to be part of a uh, infrastructure, a a code uh, which surrounds children and the health of children Um, and the enforceability of the law is is almost neither here nor there. It's, uh, It's about uh, bringing about a cultural change. So in that uh, case, we should we be banning smoking in people's private homes then if you're not worried about enforceability because that's going to affect children as well, passive smoking. Well, of course, that, that's the issue, but it's not germane to this particular piece of legislation. But yes, of course, there is a worry that we're defining privacy in a, in a strange and ever more uh, uh, narrow way. But, but that's not the point. It doesn't affect this particular piece of legislation. This, people should not be smoking in cars when there are children there. Jenny? Well, I am for the ban, and I'd have voted for it. But I think enforceability is an issue, because I think if you bring in laws which nobody then maintains in practice, and it's much harder to stop private cars with somebody 
somebody with a cigarette in them, it's much harder to catch people in the act than it is to walk into a working men's club and just check every night that there isn't any smoke in the air, then I think that you're bringing laws into disrepute. And I think the law against female genital mutilation is an example of that. It's been there since 1985. There's 65,000 girls who are said to be at risk of FGM every year. Mm. And so far, the number of prosecutions brought has been zero. And yet this is a major public health issue and nobody has done anything about that. And similarly, the laws on the minimum wage, that's absolutely critical for the people at the bottom of the social pile um, to maintain their their standards of living. And yet there have been two prosecutions on that. So I just worry about having laws brought in which nobody is actually going to do anything about. If it was going to be enforced, I would approve of that. Although I do also worry about how much time that would take. Oliver? There's a difference between the question whether a law is enforceable and whether it's disregarded. It's not easy to implement a law requiring child seats in cars, but broadly this is a law that's observed. Likewise, seatbelts themselves in the front and the back. Likewise, the use of mobile phones while driving. It's not easy to catch people who, uh, who don't follow the law, but the law is broadly observed. Similarly, voting twice, uh, which is uh, very difficult to detect. Voting twice in a general election, very difficult to detect. There aren't many prosecutions for it, but most people are deterred so by it. So you think it. law has a tutorial effect at the yes, very I least? Do. Yes, uh, I do. Yes, I do. Roger? Uh, exactly. Uh, depressingly, I do agree absolutely with Oliver on <laughs> this. not working with FGM. Well... Yes, I mean, it's if you criminalise something, then you induce uh, uh, self-enforcement. You in, you persuade people not to do things. But um, as, as Jenny you don't says, need it's black clearly not uh, working well, with because that's because uh, Not working with minimum wage much either. Well, with female genital uh, mutilation, it's to do with cultural, certain cultural norms, isn't it, as well as everything else. You can't, by law, change the way that uh, a lot of families look at this um, you know, because you're, you're absolutely challenging a different culture, cultural expectation. That's well, the problem. Well, well I is, hope you're both right. Well, this mm. is a subject, uh, particularly FGM with The Times is campaigning on the issue we will be returning to. But um, we move on to our second topic of this week, and it's um, your topic, Oliver. And I, I should welcome you, of course. This is your first time on the Did You Read podcast. It's great to have you with us. And None of us can understand how he escaped this early <laughs> duty for so long. <laughs> and Oliver, there was this big vote by the Swiss. The vote was very narrowly passed in favour of um, the Swiss people taking re-control of their immigration policies, um, but potentially has profound implications for um, the European debate, not least Britain's relationship with Europe. Yes, and it has profound implications for Switzerland itself, very much to the detriment of Switzerland's economy and society. I don't quite agree with the way you framed the question of taking control of their immigration policies. Um, Switzerland has always imposed quite tight controls on non-EU immigration. Um, Switzerland, of course, is not part of the EU. It's not part of the European economic area. It's part of the uh, European free trade um, area. Um, and it has very painstakingly negotiated a long series of bilateral agreements with the EU, a very difficult process, something that uh, we'd have to do were we outside the EU, the, the Britain would have to do, a very painstaking process that is now put at risk by 
a vote, a very narrow vote, as you rightly say, in a referendum spearheaded by a right-wing populist party, the sort of Swiss equivalent of UKIP, that makes very little economic sense, um, has superficial attractions because Switzerland has a low unemployment rate of, I think, a little over 3%, and the EU average is into double figures. But Switzerland depends on the EU. It depends on the EU for its exports. Um, Nearly 60% of its exports go to the EU. EU, something like three quarters of its imports come from the EU. And populist parties and politicians are focusing on um, uh, on immigrants as a source of economic stress, whereas in fact, they've been absolutely crucial to allowing Switzerland to withstand the European uh, economic downturn of the last few years, because they've boosted domestic demand at a time when, as we say in our second leader today, um, Tuesday, um, at a time when the Swiss franc has been strong and Swiss exports have been hit. Roger, do you agree with Oliver's view? Uh, Yes, broadly I do. And I do think that Switzerland is a different case from our own and that we shouldn't conflate the two issues too much. Uh, I do worry that Switzerland's becoming a little bit racist and that actually this measure, I mean, it's a referendum decision and therefore not law, but it will be made into some kind of law within the next three years, that it, it, it is actually anti-German in some ways or anti-this. Uh, Switzerland's very, it's a country that defines itself through negatives, you know. So if you're German-Swiss, what you're saying is I'm not German. If you're uh, Swiss French, you're saying I'm not French, and that's not really much of a, a, a national binding uh, ethic. So it's 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 a complicated country, and it was a complicated decision, as you say, extremely narrow. Mm. So it's difficult to call the whole society racist, but I do feel that there is that is underlying that, is it, is trend. It, is it really uh, fair to describe it as racist? Is it just not large numbers of people worried about competition for their jobs? Oliver's right. Unemployment in Switzerland is low but by all international comparisons. But certainly in Britain, a lot of the worries about immigration doesn't reflect a dislike of foreigners. Among some people, it does. It is just a concern about competition for housing and work and other public. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com services. Isn't well, that true in Switzerland too? Well, in Switzerland, the campaign was fought on that basis. For example, why are the trains so crowded? Oh, it's foreigners. Yeah. Uh, why are the roads so full? Oh, it's mm. the foreigners. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't seem to me a very good starting point for a, a discussion uh, in, in those terms. And I would not like to see that being the tone of our future debate about where we stand in Europe um, and how we reposition ourselves in Europe, either inside or outside the EU. If that, if that element, if that sort of dark undertone comes in, I mean, Switzerland, you know, thanks to this um, People's Party, it's already banned minarets, for example, the building of new minarets. Is that the way we want to mm. go? You know, it's going, it's going a little bit yeah, too far. That was an ugly decision. Uh, it's what? ugly, and I think this is a continuation of the evidence. Jenny Russell. 
Well, I'm torn on this one. I kind of want to be a devil's advocate here because I'm not sure that um, I agree with you that deciding to ban other people's um, manifestations of their religions in your country necessarily has to be defined as ugly. Um, I worked in Switzerland for two summers when I was a teenager and I was stunned by how xenophobic it was. I mean, there's absolutely no question that they hated all sorts of outsiders. I was working in the Swiss-German um, areas and everyone wanted to maintain their Catholic culture and their strong um, traditions, whether they were bringing in cows or all going to mass together or the entire villages taking um, all the children away for holidays in Ma- the summer. Maintaining your and own culture didn't... doesn't necessarily mean you're against other the people's culture though does it well i think in switzerland it often does because if you ha- if you had um a group of people moving in who were who were muslims and who were calling people to prayer in the mornings and so on yes it would disrupt swiss culture now i think the interesting thing is how far do we think it's okay for people to want to protect their ways of life mm. um, i think that roger's absolutely right there is a nasty undertone to the swiss attitudes to foreigners and i think it's always been there i don't think that it's uh, creeping in it was very evident 30 years ago it was very hard for any outsiders to get to live in switzerland um, i remember for instance one american who had just worked, bought a flat in geneva she was working for who arriving for dinner absolutely horrified to discover that she had just had to sign a clause in the lease saying that in the event of a nuclear attack as an American passport holder she would not be allowed access to the nuclear shelters in the basements which were for Swiss citizens only now that's the way the Swiss have always seen their country which is for the Swiss Um, Oliver just before we move on I don't know whether you can imagine yourself in this position but if you were running the out campaign working for UKIP or whatever in Britain, it's probably the issue of immigration more than employment law or food prices or the Eurozone. It's the one issue that does seem to get people more exercised about Britain's membership of the European Union than any other issue. And if the out campaign ever happens, if Cameron wins the next election and holds this referendum, immigration is more likely now to be at the heart of that campaign because of this Swiss vote, even more likely than before. Would you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that. I've Mm. debated with Nigel Farage. I wasn't impressed with his knowledge of the minutiae of EU policy. I don't think he's very bright, but (laughs) he argued very forcefully and I would say emotively on the prospect of uh, millions of Eastern European immigrants uh, coming to Britain uh, on the accession of new member states. He was talking nonsense, of course. Because you have won in one of your notebooks for the Times, you've argued that over the next 50 years, Europe may need immigration of the level of hundreds of millions if it's to maintain the current dependency ratio. Just to stabilise so, current Some, depend- some may think that ratios. your view of hundreds of millions of extra immigrants is the extreme position in this debate. I'm not arguing. I'm not an absolutist on immigration. Mm. Um, I'm not an absolutist on many things. Um, I'm very close to being an absolutist. However, when you look at the way the issue is framed, I think there are far too many controls on immigration and far too much uh, whinging on the part of populist politicians that they're not allowed to talk about it. In fact, they talk about little else. That's, uh, that is certainly true. And what we are now going to talk about is our third topic, which is Roger's topic. Now, I've, as a Manchester United fan, I've been avoiding the sports pages <laughs> recently, but I understand there is a Winter Olympics on, and um, you are concerned that we are going to be too much enjoying the spectacle of the sport and forget, actually, what a, what, what a nation... Putin has created in terms of human rights abuses in its in its role in the world. Yes, that's right. I mean, it's not a particularly sophisticated argument, but it happens every Olympics. First of all, you worry ahead of time that everything's going to go wrong. Uh, it happened 
before the London Olympics in a similar way. Uh, One of the Olympic rings didn't quite open, but well, otherwise quite, it seems to have gone reasonably quite, smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was an endearing, there was one endearing uh, aspect of the whole um, opening ceremony, really. Then you get the opening ceremony, you kind of sneer at it or, or you are amused by it. Uh, and then the sports begin and you start to win medals or or you bravely not win medals, as is usually the British case. And um, it's... Uh, and that's it. And you forget about the that uh, seam, that rather grimy uh, seam uh, behind it all, uh, as we forgot about Beijing's human rights abuses uh, once everything was under 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 um, thing. But we do have with Sochi, we do have an issue. We have an Olympic issue and we have a Putin issue, and we shouldn't forget about them. The Olympic issue being. He, you know, Russian policies are quite clearly in violation of um, Principle 6 of the Olympic Charter, which is anti-discriminatory. Uh, it's in violation of the normal commitments uh, about overspend, corruption and waste. Uh, Three times as expensive as the London Games. Enormously expensive, expensive yeah. And, of course, with enormous graft and corruption uh, underpinning it. Because in a recent column that you, you wrote for us, and, and by the way, I should say, all of the columns that we've been discussing this week, Times subscribers can read at thetimes.co.uk slash comment central. But you said that actually, rather than this being a sort of launch of Putinism to the world, Roger, it actually was almost perhaps its highest point, and that afterwards we will see that this is a country that has been left very dependent upon energy um, for its economy, hasn't diversified the economy, there's a growing resistance within Russia to his rule, and he has not solved the problems on his borders, whether it's Ukraine or Chechnya or um, in the Middle East. Yeah, Tim, you've said everything that I've got to say now. Very, it's a very good summary, really. Okay, well, I'll bring, I'll, I'll bring Jenny and Oliver in then in that case. So, Jenny, have we focused enough on Russia's human rights abuses? It seems to me like lots of people are focused on the human rights abuses a lot. Can't we now just enjoy the sport for a few weeks? I think you can hold both things in your head at the same time. I think the interesting thing is that um, Roger, of course, is an expert in this area and therefore is always conscious of the issues that are going on. But I think that um, what he fears hasn't come to pass. I think that it, the Olympics has had the opposite effect from Google running its rainbow strip across mm. its search engine um, in support of lesbians and gays who are discriminated against in Russia. I think that it's that kind of thing is bringing the whole of Russia and all its complex problems to people's attention in a way that it didn't before the Olympics. I think people are thinking about Russia in a way that they weren't before. And they're more aware of what's been going on with Putin. Uh, Oliver? I hope that's right. I certainly agree with Jenny that it's possible to hold both things in one's mind at the same time, the sporting outcomes and the uh, political context, the repression of, of, uh, of, of human rights. My worry is that the uh, connection between nationalism and politics on the one hand and um, high-level sport, Olympic sport on the other, um, has a very um, long history. I'm thinking in particular of the um, uh, sporting prowess of the old Eastern Bloc and the East German athletes in particular, um, where the Honecker regime uh, in East Germany placed such stress on the matter and, um, uh, and adopted a mass doping program in order to secure Olympic gold. Mm. Um, there was always this suspicion at the time and tremendous damage was done to the health of athletes, sex changes and so forth. Um, that, uh, that um, I fear that we may not focus enough on the 
um, on the terrible abuses of human rights that underlie this 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 quest for Olympic glory. Yeah. So you're saying it should be applied to all nations. It's not just the Russians. The fact that sportsmen are having to torture their bodies. No, 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 no. That's that's different from from um, uh, from striving um, for a, for a peak of physical fitness. That was that that was chemicals. Chemicals, exactly. So you're worried that that is actually prevalent everywhere, even though it's supposed not to be. No, no, I didn't mean to imply that. I've no idea whether it's prevalent everywhere or not. Uh, and the individual cases of doping, something like Ben Johnson, that's quite different from a nationwide. Uh, program of doping. I just gave that as an example of the nexus between nationalism and the search for Olympic well, glory. Olympic glory and the well, space and race were the great sort of emblems that the Soviet system tried to pursue for their virility. That's Roger the, Boyce. That I think is the inbuilt problem that actually when when the um, when people are chosen to be the future site of an Olympics, I mean we should have complained right at the beginning, of course, when, when Sochi was, was put forward as the, as the candidate, is that there's an inbuilt bias towards um, uh, authoritarian uh, regimes um, because they can deliver, because they can... We know that they will deliver on time. We know that uh, everything will be ready and that they know, we know that they are capable for various political reasons of creating a, a, a spectacle. We saw it in Moscow, some of us anyway saw it in Moscow in 1980. You know, there was the 36 Games and there was the Beijing Games and these are, are the ones that actually stick in people's memories quite often because they were so incredibly uh, orchestrated. So we have to be, I think we have to be more uh, careful about the selection, um, uh, the selection and the choice of, of, of future sites. We have to build that in. Otherwise, you get into these ridiculous situations. For example, where Qatar stages the World Cup, you yeah. know, in in in, in ridiculously uh, ridiculous summer temperatures, and so. has a much more oppressive uh, and, and has has an oppressive structure. Yes. How do you say we, Roger? What can we do about it? I mean, lots of people think that there was terrible corruption involved in uh, many of the choices, like Qatar. Um, but but we, the international community, don't run these things. They're run by unaccountable international bodies and individual but, but members we have of representatives to the international Olympic and, and, Committee. And, and we have two representatives. And have failed to reform it. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Well, the, mm. t- the mm. Times in particular, with um, alleged corruption in FIFA campaigns, yes. very hard, but well, to quite, absolutely yeah. zero effect. It's not as if it's chosen by the UN. I mean, these are people who are all seen to be Which open to being bribed. <laughs> no, yes. but we have to mobilise, obviously, against it because it's it's becoming absurd now. Well, Gaddafi's Libya used to chair the uh, Human Rights Council of the United Nations. Oh, so, sure. Uh, we, have, uh, we have lots of uh, upside-downness in um, international institutions. But we have to finish there. I'm afraid we've run out of time for this week. Thank you to Roger and Jenny, in particular Oliver, um, his debut. I hope you'll be back with us uh, soon. Oliver and also to Dave Maguire my producer who always makes this show happen. Thank you so much to you for listening and do go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central to read, access all of the articles we've been discussing today and also via that blog you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes so you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 